Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That with Neil Delamere and Dave Moore. If you want to get in touch, we are on at Why Would You Tell Me That on Instagram. He's at, at Dave Today FM and I'm at Neil Delamere Comedy. We are proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network and please listen to all the previous shows. They're entirely untopical, so you can download them in any order and listen to them at your leisure. Dave, it is your turn to wow me with something amazing. What have you got? It's the start of season four, Neil. So I've got to bring the A game. I've got to bring something that's going to absolutely blow your mind and everyone else's mind. And I think I'm going to do that because I'm going to introduce you in part two to a man called Dr. Karl Kruselnitsky. He is an Australian. He's a physicist, a doctor, an engineer, an author, a radio presenter, an inventor, a former roadie, and has even had an asteroid named after him. So this guy's qualifications, yeah, I mean, ridiculous. Plus, I think most people listening to this podcast will have seen him either on Instagram or on TikTok because you will know the Aussie doctor with the lewd, brightly colored shirts. That's Dr. Carl, and he's coming on this podcast. And Neil, wait till I tell you about the things that I've thought to ask him. So in part two, we're going to find out which mixer gets you drunk quicker. Full fat soft drinks or diet soft drinks? And the answer will literally blow your mind and your stomach. Uh, but you've got to tune in for that. And then the other thing is, you know when you lose weight? Yeah. I mean, I know I don't know what happens when you lose weight, but other <laughs> people have done this we've, in the past. We've seen the programs, yes. Yes, yes. Where does the weight go? I've always assumed a special island somewhere. <laughs> I've, I've always assumed. I've never been there, but you know, like, I know, Sark. You know the Channel Islands. You know there's Jersey no. and Guernsey, and I think Alderney. And then I just thought Sark was just you know like a fatberg that when people lose weight, it's just like there's a deposit. It just heads over that direction, and everybody's combined body weight is just kept there. No, <laughs> funnily is enough, that not that's, it? Not, that's not it. Oh, okay. We will okay. investigate what it is in part two with Dr. Carl, and I can't wait to introduce him to you because he's absolutely amazing, right? Can I just say it's a little weird that you, you thought to ask him, which gets people drunker, that one or that one? And I'm just kind of thinking, what will I buy that person? <laughs> you know, you're a stag and you're like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, no, it's, all, it's all Pepsi Max for Johnny because he's going to be tied to a lamppost soon. <laughs> well, yes, we will find out exactly what it is in a few minutes wow. time. Uh, but I figured in part one, Neil, I would do something incredible, which is yeah. I will tell everybody on your behalf that you are going back on yet another 
amazing UK quiz show. Yes. So I've yeah, I'm going I'm going on countdown in a couple of weeks. I've you see, you're done... so humble about it. You know, you're so kind of blasé. I'm, I'm going on. I've done a few. Neil, you are the celebrity mastermind champion on the BBC. You did unbelievably well on the Chaser. It's Chase, yeah. Chase, Chase, whatever. Yeah. Chase, yeah. 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 You've, you've been on Beat the Chasers. Yeah. Right? You, you've won House of Games. Yeah. You're on the Radio 5 Live thing where you've won that, whatever it was, what's that called? Champion of Champions? In fight on fighting talk, I'm getting really uncomfortable now because you there's no way that you are building up this for something good. <laughs> there's no I've done forty of these podcasts. What's going to happen? Okay, okay, okay. Is Cab going to raid my house and take all the trophies and the no, watches? No, 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 what nothing, is nothing, it? nothing like that. First of all, tell everybody when they can actually see you on Countdown. It's in July. Uh, count. I think it starts on the twenty first. So I do. I do dictionary corner with our yes. lovely friend Susie Dent, and um, and we can come up with words that the contestants have missed. Um, so that's twenty first of July. You do five days. Yeah. You know? Okay. And uh, I don't know. I don't know when the chase is on or beat the chasers. I think beat the chasers isn't on for I think January or something. Like oh, that. Okay. So, right. So there's more opportunities to see you wowing everybody on television. Yes. yes. The reason that I have brought this up uh, is because I'm a, I'm about to send you a text. Have you got your phone there? Yes. Okay. okay. So the reason I'm going to send you a text is because I I think I've found a quiz question yeah. that will be too hard okay. for Neil Delamere, the super quiz brain. Okay? How did you get my number, by the way? <laughs> so what I'm going to do is, uh, the, the, I saw this on a quiz show. It was an Australian quiz show. It ties into Dr. Carl that way. That's why I'm bringing it up on this, right? And I was like, oh my God, how, this is impossible. And then the guy got it right no in 30 way. seconds, okay? okay? I'm going to call it out. Right. I'm going to now don't forget he could see it on a screen. That's why I'm texting it to you. Right. Okay. So because I don't okay. want to give you a disadvantage to him. Right. Okay. So I'm going to call out the question. I'm going to hit send and then I'm going to start a 30 second timer. And then I'm going to have to ask you for an answer at that point. Okay? okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Cue the dramatic quiz music. <laughs> okay. I am your quiz host. This is for a million euro, you know. 500 pounds, whatever the prize equivalent is in the different currencies. Are you ready? Yes. Neil Delamere, you have proven yourself to be the finest <laughs> quiz mind. You're a bastard. You're such a freak. <laughs> the finest quiz mind the island of Ireland has ever produced. Not so true. Answer yeah. this question to win the star prize. Right. If January equals yes. 717. March equals 5315 and June equals 4624. What does August equal? Okay. I've just texted it to you and the clock starts now. If January equals 717, March equals 5315. Oh God. See, this is kind of more. This is I'm better. Gen, I, I've already given up. General knowledge is much easier because it's yes or no. This is <laughs> spot the relationship between these months. And your time is up. Can I have an answer, please? You can have an answer. <laughs> I mean, you can have as many answers as you like, Dave. Um, I've no idea. Uh, I'm going to say it is 8197. 8197? Fuck off. 
That's wrong. <laughs> you have failed in your quest to win the star prize. And after Dr. Carl, yes, I'm going to do that thing like they do on oh, quiz shows no. where I'm going to say, I'm going to make you all wait, Neil included, until we finish with Dr. Carl. And in part three, I will tell you the answer and also, okay. of course, how the answer is gotten to. And this is brilliant. So you can have a go in the meantime, if you like. You know, in the meantime, we're listening to Dr. Carl. Have a think about it every now and again and see. But to be honest with you, Dr. Carl's going to be so entertaining. I don't think anybody's going to want to do anything else except listen to him. And you know what? I'm going to keep this short because I want to give more time with this podcast to Dr. Carl. So, Neil, if you're okay with this, I'm just going to say, let's move on to part two. I haven't listened to a word you said <laughs> since you said it wasn't the right answer. Go on, put it down and concentrate on this. Dr. Carl Kruselnitsky coming your way in a sec. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And Neil, I'm going to introduce you now to Dr. Karl Kruselnitsky. L- listen to this list of qualifications, Neil, right? The man is a physicist, a doctor, an engineer, an author, a radio presenter, an inventor, a former weatherman, and has even had an asteroid named after him. Carl, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's awfully kind of you. Um, yeah. Well, part of the reason that I was able to do that was because in Australia, once upon a time, we... Um, 
valued education. We, we thought that uh, education was a worthwhile <laughs> investment in the future. I know they, the governments wouldn't make that mistake anymore. So I was able to get my 16 years of university education uh, entirely covered by the Australian government. Those were the days, as they say. I was also in university for 16 years, but I have one degree, but that is a different story. <laughs> ah, we'll do that some other time. Well, what was your degree in, Neil? Uh, software engineering, computer applications. Ah, wow. But it took me a long time to get it, is my point, Carl. That's why I don't have See, as many letters after my name as you do. <laughs> Let's dive into all these, because we have lots of listener questions, which I think is brilliant, because, Carl, this is your suggestion mm. as well to get our audience involved. We'll get to them in a few minutes' time, but I wanted to go through some of the, the, the questions that I've had for a long time. Uh, and, Neil, I know you'll have questions at some point for Dr. Carl, so bring them in whenever you feel. But I want to start off with this, which is a personal question, if you don't mind. Were you a roadie? In a previous life, because I didn't list that in the list of things that were that were your qualifications. But is this true? Uh, I was a roadie for a little band in Sydney for many years. Yeah. And then they turned out to be the backup band for Bo Diddley whenever Bo, Bo Diddley. Diddley came to Australia. Wow. So I was uh, by default a roadie for him. Uh, and it was uh, wonderful. Um, I remember on one occasion I saw he uh, he done a song and I said after the show, I said, Matt, I've seen you do that song about 50 times, and yet each time you do it with the same enthusiasm and joy and happiness. How do you do it? And he said, look, Carl, it's called show biz, not show play or show fun, show biz. And so the deal is they give me money, and I give them the best good time I can. And if they're <laughs> having a good time, then I have a good time. We're all happy because uh, we've all got what we want, and we're all having a, a good time. And for me, that was a good lesson in professionalism, yeah. which came in handy because on one hand, I've done um, gigs at the uh, Apollo in London, uh, which is, yeah, thousands of people. On another occasion, I was in um, Borneo doing uh, a gig at schools. I was with the Malaysian government going around talking to schools and universities. And in for various reasons, including um, a monsoon, an earthquake, uh, the person involved being pregnant, university holidays, et cetera, et cetera. The audience, which was supposed to be a thousand, was one person. <laughs> the hall was still a thousand people. But I bet you delivered it. I bet you. I bet you showbiz that one. The words of Bo Diddley stayed in my head, and I did the, the full-on show with the same enthusiasm that I could muster. And, and it is difficult because you do need, when you're doing a live show, you need at least a hundred people to fire um, to get the audience sort of rolling. But, yeah. but I, I, I did my. Bit and uh, she responded. I have done a show on the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to four people. Four people had bought tickets, and I was so desperate to fill the time, Dr. Carl, that um, I said to one, What do you do? And she said, I'm an actress. And I said, Would you like to do your monologue piece that you use <laughs> for auditions? And she said, Yes. And I had worked for 45 minutes to get atmosphere into the room, and she did a monologue for 10 minutes about a friend being hit by a train. So I'll see your one person who actually listened to you and my, my four people. Wow. Okay, so look, let's jump into the questions because I know you'll bring the showbiz to our, our audience tonight. What work did you do on Belly Button Lint? Ah, well, somebody rang up on my talkback radio show uh, in Sydney, Triple J, uh, the youth network, and said, um, why do we get Belly Button Lint? And mm. I gave the correct answer, which was, I don't know. And so I went looking in the literature and I found, I think it was in the British Medical Journal, a couple of surgeons some years earlier had pondered this question, hadn't come up with an answer, but had dropped in the line 
that in the same way that all roads lead to Rome, mm. so all hair on the abdomen is aligned towards the belly button. Oh, so and it goes they, in. Well, that, that's where they stopped. Right. And so um, next week on Triple J, I gave that answer. And as far as I was concerned, I'd forgot about it. Then um, about two or three months later, somebody rang in um, for Ben from the uh, Soft Bottom Research Centre. These are not people who go around poking people in the buttocks to see how hard their buttocks are, but rather um, Soft Bottom Fish Habitat Research Centre, uh, comparing fish that live on soft sandy bottoms as opposed to fish that live on hard rocky bottoms. And right. separately from that, he was a generator of belly button lint and inspired by the words that as all roads lead to Rome, all hair on the abdomen leads to belly button, he had, as a generator of belly button lint, shaved voluntarily on his own body. Without asking Ooh. the ethics committee, he had shaved a 10-centimetre circle around his belly button to be totally free of hair. And amazingly, the belly button production dropped to zero. Wow. And then as the <laughs> hair grew back, then the uh, belly button production increased. And I said, you have got me started. So then we started our whole procedure to make this work. We then um, started a survey uh, at my own expense, and we got 4,500 people to answer the survey. We asked them a whole bunch of questions, including whether they used a top loader or a front loader machine, with, okay. et cetera, yeah. all, all, all the different questions. Uh, it's a washing machine. Um, and it turned out that the uh, about two-thirds of uh, men and about one-third of women generated belly button fluff, and that the prime generator of belly button fluff was a slightly overweight middle-aged male with a hairy abdomen. Right. However, there was the case of um, a young lady who had a completely hairless abdomen but still generated belly button fluff. But she was in, and this, this came out in the survey, she told us the story, she was in the habit of wearing very tight T-shirts and then she shifted over to having a ring installed in her belly button. And that ring acted like a little tent pole and held the T-shirt up and then suddenly she got no more belly button fluff. Wow. What we see, so so these are all hinting that there's something about movement towards the belly button, and the belly button is a sort of like a collector, like a jab of the heart. Bring the belly button fluff to me, <laughs> and, and so um, we came up with a few findings. There, there, uh, there was a case of a young lady who was going out for the night in the then popular midriff exposing outfit, mm -hmm. uh, when her brother said, "Hey, sis, you've got some belly button fluff." Whereupon she went to the bathroom, picked the belly button fluff with her fingernail and then used not hers but his electric toothbrush oh god to clean to clean her belly button and he in response then came down with the worst uh case of fungal infection in his mouth he'd ever had oh wow oh my god look so she didn't she didn't use it and sisterly go ah i've used it she used it didn't tell him put it back and then he used it that is the pathway we have inferred even so, knowing that we, <laughs> we we didn't go too deep. Even so, knowing that we were dealing with a known biohazard at this stage, um, we then asked for samples around the world uh, and looked at it under a microscope. And here's some very important advice for anybody in the audience who wants to, possess, you know, go down a career in science. Remember this: yeah. anything, no matter how boring, always looks better under an electron microscope. <laughs> 
<laughs> Big advice. Neil Neil would look amazing under an electron microscope. And so we get we gathered the samples. We looked at them under a light microscope. Then under an electron microscope, it turned out that belly button fluff is made of fibres of clothing and occasional fibres of hair, but overwhelmingly fibres of clothing held together by dead skin cells. Charming. Um, and so that if you have, for example, a top loader machine, washing machine, mm. they are more rough on your clothes than a front loader. And so people have changed from one to the other and have their production of belly button fluff go up or down uh, because the top loader shakes loose the fibres in the clothing. Okay, and so for this, gotcha. I was rewarded by the um, Harvard University who gave me their prestigious Ig Nobel Prize. And they, they flew me all the way to Harvard and back and provided accommodation for me entirely <laughs> at my own expense because they didn't want to insult me <laughs> by offering me tawdy cash to take away from the beauty of the prize. The prize, of course, being a bathroom tile with a hole drill in it and then a little red stick. And then on the red, top of the red stick, they glued on some red shattering wind-up teeth that you wind up with a key. And then at the bottom it had Ig Nobel Prize winner 2002 written in ordinary, um, they didn't even use uh, indelible marker, they just used whiteboard marker. Whiteboard marker. I tried to clean it one day and it came off, so I had to put it back on again. <laughs> that is, what, a, what an award. At least you got something out of it, though. I mean, you, you got to go to Harvard, whereas the brother got athlete's mouth, basically. <laughs> it's, it's, it seems horrendous. Okay, I'm so into this. This Dr. is going to be Carl, great. I mean, Dave uh, did all the research in this because this is his episode, but... You have immediately won me over with that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, scientific let's, endeavor. let's go even further. Do diet drinks get you drunk quicker if you use them as mixers, Carl? Yes. And no. So think about your rum and cola with mm -hmm. uh, a diet drink. Now, you've got the uh, cola, which has no calories, and you've got the uh, rum, which has a certain amount of calories. Uh, alcohol does have calories, by the way. Uh, slightly Bad news more, for more calories per gram than uh, glucose, but less than fat. And then you roughly double the amount of calories if you then uh, use a sugared cola rather than a regular sugared. Right. Um, and then what happens is that they go down your mouth. And this for me was a big surprise. So, uh, oh, by the way, just a little bit of anatomy for people who are, haven't studied in this field. So it goes in your th through your mouth doesn't get absorbed there, uh, through your esophagus, that's just transit pathway, into your stomach where it gets mushed around and there's no absorption in the little organ called the stomach on the upper left-hand side of your gut. And then it goes into the small intestine where is it absorbed, where it is absorbed. Or, so they get mushed around in the stomach, then gets absorbed in the small intestine. Now, for me, this is the big surprise. Stuff, food, does not leave the stomach and go into the small intestine on a volume rate, you know, so many mils per minute but on a calorie rate, two to three calories a minute. Somehow the stomach has a uh, calorie sensing mechanism and releases two to three calories a minute. So if you've got uh, something with relatively low calories, they mm. get through fairly quickly. So this is your rum and diet collar. You get go. through relatively quickly into the small intestine. And then so you get a bit of a spike and then it drops uh, fairly rapidly. Whereas with the uh, rum and um, fully sugared, it takes twice as long because it's got twice the calories from the sugar. And so it rises more gently. Um, by the way, also, the longer it gets to stay in the uh, organ, specifically called the stomach, um, it also gets broken down by chemicals called alcohol dehydrogenases. 
So let's put forward the scenario of two uh, twins who, conveniently for us, have lived everything identically for every single day of their life until this particular night where they decide one's going to have three rum and diet collars, one three regulars. The one with three regulars leaves the party, goes home, gets picked up by the cop. Their blood alcohol level is 0.03. They get let by the cops to go home and all's fine. The other twin has had exactly the same amount of alcohol. And yet, the because it's the diet drinks, it rises quicker, it goes to 0.055. They get picked up by the cops, uh, end up going to the lockup. There's a bit of a miscarriage of justice. They end up going to jail, end up sharing a cell with a very large, hairy man who has la- love and hate tattooed on the knuckles of each hand and who happens also to be a recruiter for the Hells Angel. And then our poor chap then ends up being a member of the Hells Angels uh, with a big motorbike and a big hairy abdomen and a leather jacket sitting outside your nieces or nephews or children's primary school trying to sell them methamphetamine and it's all your fault because you did not know that diet drinks get you drunker. <laughs> See, but, <laughs> but we can protect society with this, Neil. I, I would say what we've learned so far is you're looking at the Hells Angels guy and before this, you'd be terrified by him. But now you're terrified by him. But now you're looking at his hairy abdomen going, can you fill in this survey? Do you use a top-loading machine or a front-loading machine? Because I need to go to Harvard. It's all about lint. It doesn't matter why I'm asking this question. That is amazing. Unbelievable. Like to well, almost twice the, the blood alcohol level. That's amazing. Well, yeah, well, 0.03, 2 to 0.53. And the thing is that, uh, just think about this, to get a driver's license, sorry, you, you, you had to actually do a bit of a test. By the way, did you see that episode of um, Top Gear where they went to one of the Chinese provinces and there's four aspects to getting the driver's license there. One, you have to give them your identification details. Two, you have to be able to clench your hand uh, as though you're grabbing a steering wheel. That proves you can grab a steering wheel. Uh, thirdly, you have to do a bit of a squat down, which proves you've got enough strength to press the brake pedal. Oh, press the brake, and then, yeah. And then fourthly, you've got to stand on the scales. And if you have a weight as measured on planet Earth, that is sufficient qualifications to get a driver's license in that particular province. However, <laughs> the point is that in general, you have to go, especially in Germany, through a rigorous test to be able to handle this death-defying machine called a car. Mm. So uh, in the same way, we do not do that for alcohol. Alcohol is an incredibly widely used drug. So you've had a good day, you have a drink, you had a bad day, you have a drink, you're whole with a whole lot of friends, you have a drink, you're by yourself. The point is that we live in a society, uh, a subset of people, where alcohol is everywhere, and yet we do not teach people how to use this very powerful drug. It, it is powerful because in a small, you can use it to store the body parts of an axolotl in a glass jar for 250 years. You can strip the oil off a garage floor with it. And in small yeah. quantities inside a human, you can get enough courage and uh, reduce your inhibitions to come up to a human that you really like and say, hello, and then run away. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's so, what happened. I, I got enough courage in my little body to go up to Neil and go, Neil, do you want to do a podcast? And he said, yes. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And um, I, I, I have a question for you, uh, uh, Dr. Carl, but this is based entirely on, I've been watching House MD with Hugh Laurie because it's on Prime or one of those uh, streams. Yeah, it's great. And they always come up with amazing, um, amazing cases and they have to be kind of obscure for him to like to solve them. 
He came up with one the other day, or he encountered one the other day, and it uh, involved congenital insensitivity to pain as anhydrosis. Yep, okay. Is this a thing? Is this a, is it a common thing? Is it have you have you encountered it in your research? Uh, I don't do much research. I basically plagiarise the research of real scientists and then okay. turn it into good stuff. So plagiarise, plagiarise, let nobody else's work evade your eyes. So firstly, pain is an incredibly important reflex for every living creature to have. So it'll avoid something that's being bad to it. Like, for example, a giant killer rat here in Australia or a killer snake or a killer kangaroo gnawing off your leg. <laughs> However, we have come across um, a few cases of people who do not have pain. And in one case, it's related to a mutation on the sodium potassium pump. Neil, David, have you guys done physiology? I haven't, no. No. Okay, so um, here's a just sort of give you a bit of a background. Um, you've, you've probably got maybe 50 litres of water in your body, right? Ballpark mm -hmm. figure. Right. So um, in the course of a 24 hour day, how much water do you think crosses the membranes of cells and uh, blood vessels and then comes back again in a 24 hour day? Oh, wow. Inside your body. Um, three liters? 50,000. What? What? So 50,000. So you on the outside just have skin and yeah. people look at it from moment to moment. It's still there. But inside you are a boiling maelstrom of activity. Right. And there are all sorts of active and passive movements and there are pumps. Yeah. You have got 37 trillion cells on average and on the outside there are all these pumps and one of them is called a sodium potassium pump. This is to do with lack of pain. And when I went through medical school, there was the sodium potassium pump. Now they've discovered about 20 of them. Right. And one of them, I think number 17, if there's a mutation in that, you do not feel pain and there's a family of Pakistan athletes who all die in their 20s and 30s. They're circus athletes and they all die in their 20s and 30s because they've got an injury and they didn't feel it and they died from the injury. Wow. There's also another family, there's a family in Italy and they've got a different physiological mechanism by which they do not feel pain. I don't know that one. I'm still reading mm -hmm. up on that. And then there's one woman in the United Kingdom who seems to have a mutation of her cannabis receptors. So, well, we'll think about this co coincidence. How come um, there's a plant from uh, Turkey, a little purple poppy, which makes chemicals that we call opiates, yeah. which work on humans? How, how come this thing, which is made of vegetable, works on us who are made of meat? And the thing is that by coincidence, the chemical that they make fits into the, some of the receptors on our skin, in our okay. cells. Remember how I talked about how uh, the movement across the cells is mediated by various receptors and pumps. So mm -hmm. the pumps will fire when they get receptors. So it turns out that firstly we have opiate receptors and then secondly we have cannabis receptors and this was discovered only fairly recently. And in this case, this woman has a mutation of one of her cannabis receptors where she doesn't feel pain uh, but she also feels a little bit disconnected from life so when her husband died, it was, oh, dear, my husband's died. I've still got 10 passes on his bus ticket. I must cash it in. Wow. So, But she wow. doesn't feel pain. Next question. Yeah. Do we breathe out unused farts? Um, wow. Yes. 
to a very small degree. So, Neil's um, like, what? <laughs> uh, I've done a TikTok on this. Look, it, That's no, what I thought, yeah. Neil, look, don't be ashamed. It is normal to fart. We all fart. It's not just terrorists that have farts. Regular people have them too. So I have, <laughs> we, we, we fart about 14 times a day on average with a total volume of one and a half litres. Um, and the farts are mostly nitrogen with about 20% carbon dioxide and some hydrogen and some methane and a few bits and pieces. And um, you normally let them out. And if they smell, they're usually associated with having had a diet of sulfur-containing foods like mm. broccoli and so forth. Now, um, if you hold the fart in, it gradually gets reabsorbed into the blood vessels. Uh, it, there, there was a big worry that does holding in farts cause diverticulitis so mm. let me explain your you've got your stomach which then goes mm. into the small intestine and then it goes into the large intestine and you can kind of think of it as a smooth tube then imagine you've got little pouches sticking out to the side you know, just pushed like you get your finger on the inside and you push outwards and you've got a little bulge and that's called a diverticulum and if it's got bad stuff and you get an infection in it that's called diverticulitis and the question was does holding in farts give you diverticulitis and the best answer we have is we haven't got any proof for it it might it might not we don't know right the, the gas then gets reabsorbed into your bloodstream and then some of the gas leaves your uh bloodstream in the lungs and comes out through your mouth a small amount there you go and it would it be true that the bacteria cause the farts so are we farting out bacteria's farts that's right. So if you fart, it is not your fault. It is the fault of the bacteria that invaded you shortly after you were born. Why Can you tell you have... my wife that? Because she's always giving it to me. Well, uh, that's a different thing, and we need to go into that more deeply on another occasion. But getting back to the fart, so you've got 37 trillion cells in your body. Uh, yeah. As a result of your parents loving each other very much in a special way at a time that was your age plus nine months earlier. But... Shortly after you were born, you began to get colonized or during the process of being born, your and bacteria began to live on you and in you. And there's slightly more of them, about 40 trillion. And the wow. majority of them live in your gut, even though there's more bacterial cells than human Dave or Neil cells, they don't weigh as much because they're very small. Do you, do you have this concept in the in Ireland? An Olympic swimming pool? Does that make yes. sense? We, yes. we, we have one, I think. <laughs> yeah, we have a few more than one. 50 <laughs> meters, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So think about if the uh, your cell of your body are the size of an Olympic swimming pool, bacterial mm. cells are the size of a medium car or a small car. Wow. So they're a lot right, smaller, yeah. and so yeah. they only weigh a couple of hundred grams. And the ones on the in your mouth, on the upper jaw, they're different from the ones on the lower jaw. Uh, on the front of the teeth, they're different from the back of the teeth. On the left, they're different from the right. There's different populations all over the place. And in your gut, they are essential. They get. If you did not have the bacteria in your gut, you would eat twice as much. So think about it. Two breakfasts, two little lunch, yeah, two lunches, yeah. two afternoon lunches, two dinners. You would eat twice as much. You would be two-thirds your current body weight, two-thirds. Um, and you would have... Um, a very weak immune system, and you'd be weak and sickly. 
Right. So you need okay. these bacteria. You need these and, bacteria, right. And, and for example, they make chemicals such as free fatty acids that you need for brain development. Your brain will still develop and you get some free fatty acids. You, 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 they, they are part of the package of being you. They have evolved with us. In fact, they're in some cases, fecal transplants from one person to another uh, <laughs> have been used as a remedy, but very rarely. They're one of my favorite heavy metal bands, fecal transplants. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, we've covered well, an awful lot there. And, and look, I could go on with a million more of my questions. And I'll ask you one, which I think we can, you can have a think about while you answer some listener questions mm -hmm. and maybe come back at the end. But what I would love to know from you at the end, Dr. Carl, is what's the wildest thing that you know that our audience probably doesn't know, but they really should. But we'll come back to that. Whoa. Well, is, that, is, that, is that a bit too I'm big? Kind of, I'm kind of going for the 50,000. <laughs> to have respect for 50,000 litres of water crosses your membranes each day. Yeah. You're, you're just such That's a maelstrom of activity. And yet on the outside, you think, oh, it's just got boring skin. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll although, thinking. although, if he named who killed JFK, I mean, that would be what a way to go out with this podcast. <laughs> well, he did say he's a government agent. He would know. He did okay. say that. Let, let's go on uh, with some of the listener questions. Sweeney was on to us, who said, "We all have it, but we, as in we humans, the normal people, not learned people like yourself, Carl, we don't know that much about it. Blood. Can you tell something interesting about blood?" Um, there's a book on it called Nine Pints by an American author. That's a really good book. But conceptually, the way to think about blood is not as a liquid, but rather it's an organ with many different complex properties and attributes, which happens to be a liquid. It's about 55% salt water and about 45% cells. And overwhelmingly, those cells are red blood cells. Um, and the red blood cells have, don't have DNA. They're, they're, they're roughly two-thirds of the cells in your body, and they do not have your DNA in them. Wow. Which is mm. a big surprise. And um, they pick up oxygen under certain conditions and then dump them under other conditions. They do a marvelous job. The red blood cells have to squeeze each day of their lives through blood vessels that are smaller than they are. Oh. Which is weird. So they, they look kind of like a donut, but not, not hollowed out in the middle, but joined together in the donut. There's a lolly in Australia, uh, a confectionery called a butter menthol. Do you have that in Ireland? No, no. no. But, but think about a donut, but it doesn't have a hole. It's sort of continuous right. in the middle. And so they look like that. And um, the blood vessels they have to get through are called capillaries. And they're five microns in diameter. A micron is a millionth of a meter, and your hair is 50 microns. Wow. So they have to squeeze through something one-tenth the diameter of a hair, five microns, but they, in fact, are seven microns in size, and so they have to change shape. And as they get older, they lose some elasticity. I don't know why. I haven't, I'm not a hematologist. I would if, sure. no, if I was. And, and then they get taken out of circulation by the spleen, up in the um, top uh, left-hand corner of your gut and then get uh, recycled and across to your liver and then they come out, they, they then get reused again and some of the chemicals go to make your feces brown. So that explains the big philosophical question of how come you eat food of all different colours but it always yeah, comes out brown, brown because it's uh, broken down red blood cells. And the other thing they have to do, being 55% salt water and 45% cells, is flow but also they have to clot if you start leaking 
And so there's a thing called a clotting cascade where each stage, it goes through about eight stages, you do 10 or 20 times as much activity. So it multiplies really quickly. And so your blood is just on the hint of clotting and not clotting. Because if you cut yourself and you don't clot. It has to clot quickly. Yeah, yeah it has to yeah. clot. But you don't want to clot too. So it's a very delicately balanced cascade. Wow. And I'm sure that'll be in uh, part of a house episode as well. Amazing. Well, if anybody wants to look at one of our very first episodes, you talked about red blood cells. One of the very first episodes we did was about the Bajo people who are sea nomads. And um, the geneticist we were talking to discovered that they their spleens were 50% bigger from free diving. That The suggestion was that they genetically evolved because when uh-huh. you dive, your spleen squeezes and gives more red blood cells that carry oxygen into your body. So if you want to look up that episode, I would suggest that's the bad job, people. I think it was the second episode. We yeah, did. episode number two or number one. Definitely one of the very first ones we did. Fascinating. The, the, the free divers are crazy. They, they stay down there for not just a minute. But five or ten or even twenty oh, minutes, and and the Bajo people, yeah, they can do twenty minutes. And also, one of the things we learned there was that other free divers from not who weren't the Bajo people, the Westerners who went to study them, they would see things of the Bajo people that they had never seen before. For example, the lady we talked, the geneticist, was in the water with the Bajo diver. He saw a clam that was fifty feet down, and he just was it was already deep in the water, and he just sank fifty feet effortlessly, picked it up. And brought it back up. And she was like, you can't do that. You have to like flip yourself over and swim down. He was just like, no, I just wanted to go down there. So I just went down. No concept of what it was. He just literally did it. The, the human body can evolve into amazing, amazing things. Like obviously they have evolved over the last several thousand years. And I, I didn't know about these people. So their spleen is large because the spleen is holding a whole bunch of red blood cells, which in turn are holding oxygen, which can then be an emergency exactly. oxygen reservoir. But they've evolved yeah. to have a spleen 50 times, 50% bigger. Yeah, and wasn't no. the question, Neil, whether it was that their, their spleens were larger because they were part of the people who were diving or they were diving because they were predisposed to have larger spleens. That was the so, question, wasn't it? Yeah, so what she did was she compared the Bajo people to the people uh, uh, on the mainland who are not part of the sea nomads, and they, their spleens were 50% bigger, but also the people within the Bajo people who did not free dive for whatever reason, mm. had 50% bigger spleens. So oh. the suggestion was that it was in the population genetically evolved over generation after generation after generation. And you necessarily would not have to free dive, but if your ancestors had, it was a 50% bigger, bigger spleen. spleen. You've got yeah, the genes for it because we had the, uh, the mutation for being able to drink milk as an adult appearing yeah. in Hungary about 6,000 years ago. Then a couple of times in uh, Africa, uh, 4,000 years ago, and it's spread across the world a little bit so that one third of us can have a milkshake. I, is that an Irish word? Do you know oh, what a milkshake is? We can is? definitely know what a yeah, milkshake yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bring all the, they bring all the boys, boys to the yard. To the yard. I know all that all the boys to the yard. Nonstop, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so one third of humans can have a milkshake with no gut problems, but uh, two thirds, if they have more than a cup or about uh, 200 mils of milk, We'll have what we medically delicately call the squirts. <laughs> or diarrhea. Okay. Well, actually, yeah. next next question leans into that uh, from Hopeless, who says, "How does the weight you lose leave your body?" A brilliant question. 
Yes, and it turns out that most people have this answer wrong, and a friend of mine, Ruben Meerman, was actually involved in getting the correct answer out. I mean, it's been known for a long time, but only among that very small percentage of people who work in chemical physiology. Um, and so Ruben Meerman and Professor Andrew Brown from the University of New South Wales asked 50 doctors, who you think would know, 50 dietitians and 50 personal trainers, and about... 60% gave the answer. The question was, when somebody loses fat, comma, where does it go? And about 60% gave the answer that the fat got converted into energy or heat, which is totally wrong. Right. You, you cannot have an at. There's only one way you can have an atom vanish and turn into heat or energy, and that's via a nuclear reaction. The human body doesn't do nuclear reactions. It only does chemical reactions. And yeah. It all does rearrange atoms. And if you were doing... Um, nuclear reactions, to vaporise 10 kilograms of fat would release the equivalent of about 10,000 Hiroshima or Nagasaki atom bombs. And Jesus if you lose, Christ. And if, and if you Weight lost, watchers would be lethal. So if you lost uh, 10 kilograms over 100 days, 100 grams a day, you'd be exuding the energy of 100 atom bombs per day, roughly one every 15 minutes, and your people would notice. But instead, it goes out, <laughs> fat goes out the way it came in through your mouth oh. surprisingly your mouth is your major excretory organ so um the chemical formula for fat is a whole bunch of carbon hydrogen oxygen atoms right so right the, right 55 carbons 100 hydrogens six oxygens or something like that and then you break it down into carbon dioxide and water but to do that you've got to add a shirt load is, is that an Irish phrase? A shirt load that'll do. <laughs> we usually take the R out, but yeah, I've heard of it. That, that's, yeah. that's a wide version here. A shirt. Do, do you use the euphemism of a shirt load? No, but I'm loving it. Oh well, maybe we can introduce it into your language. After all, yeah, I shirt think load. Introduce the word. Oh, we in, we in, say in shed load. Shed. That's your shed euphemism. Load. Yeah. Shed load. Shed ah. load. Rake. Whole go of hape. Ah, well, hang on, hang on. I, I did help create the word selfie, but we'll talk about that next time. What? So, Next time, next time. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So um, the way it works is like this. You want to get rid of 10 kilograms of fat. Remember, you've yes. got to add oxygen to it, which comes in through your mouth. The fat yeah. came in through your mouth and it gets turned into carbon dioxide and water, which overwhelmingly goes out through your mouth. To get rid of 10 kilograms of fat, yeah, you yeah. have to breathe in 29 kilograms of oxygen. Your air has weight and one-fifth right. of air is oxygen, four-fifths is nitrogen. So 10 kilograms of fat, you have to add 29 kilograms of oxygen. And what comes out is 28 kilograms of carbon dioxide, mostly through your mouth, and 11 kilograms of water, mostly through your mouth. Your major excretory organ is your mouth. You might lose a tiny amount of it as sweat or urine, but the yep. vast majority comes out through your wow. mouth as carbon dioxide and water. Each breath removes only about 33 milligrams of carbon dioxide. This is phenomenal. It's it's the verse of that sting song that you didn't hear, Dave. You know, every breath you take only removes twenty <laughs> milligrams, milligrams of, of CO two. Could a fungal pandemic like the one in The Last of Us, asks Amy, actually happen? Uh, maybe minus the zombies, she says. But that's a very interesting question because we've obviously just been through a pandemic, and it was uh, not a fungal pandemic, but the fungal pandemic is the basis of that TV show, The Last of Us, which was a game before that. What about that? Could that possibly happen in real life? Can you just give me a thumbnail sketch of this movie so I've got an idea of what so it is? So basically there is a fungal pandemic so that it, it creates the zombies that we're traditionally, you know, familiar with, but it does it 
rather than any kind of biting or anything like that, it's just a, a fungus that grows and in, infiltrates the human through, like, you know, shoots into their nose, it's, whatever. It's called cordyceps, and it's a fungus that currently, as far as I know, there's certain fung, uh, fungi who can invade the brains of ants, for example, and it just turns them into zombie ants, and they climb up to the tops of trees, and basically their motor function is controlled by a fungus, and they explode at the tops of trees, and uh, so the spores of the fungus continue over a wider basis. So ah. can it jump the can it jump the barrier between what it currently infects, I suppose, and get to humans and cause a pandemic? Ah, okay. So here's a surprise. So it turns out that we are more closely related to the fungus or mold growing on your shoes in the back of the cupboard than we are to the mighty trees of the forest. What? We are wow. genetically very close to them, and as a result, we find it difficult to come up with drugs that will fight a fungus without mm. harming a human. So right. one of the popular ones oh. is something called amphotericin, which the patients yeah. call amphoterrible because if it's knocking off the fungal cells, it's knocking off some of your cells and the patients just feel terrible. They call it amphoterrible. It's a terrible drug, but it works, but it's got terrible side effects, but it works. Right. So um, mutations do happen all the time. Uh, I actually had a friend get a fungal infection of her lungs, couldn't get a lung transplant in time and died. Um, So it is not impossible that it could mutate and being very close to us, it would be difficult to find drugs. Yeah, so it's not impossible, but unlikely. But on the other hand, uh, pandemics are unlikely. Unlikely things do happen given enough time. Look, there's a load of questions came in about diseases. And rather than being all specific, there was a very interesting one, which was just simply saying, can we cure most diseases given enough time? Yes and no, um, because you wouldn't need to. And yes. And okay. So I see this as being part of the field called genetics and specifically genetic engineering. And we started that off. Uh, I'm putting it in five stages. Um, I'm giving five because I've got five fingers and I can remember five things. Can't remember six. (laughs) So the first stage was back in 1985 when we modified a fungus to make human insulin. Right. Um, Before that, we had insulin gathered by killing a cow or a dog or a dinosaur or an endangered animal, going to the pancreas, pulling out the insulin. And because it was a different species of animal, the insulin was close but slightly different and there were side effects. And then suddenly we could have exactly identical human insulin, about a 1,000 amino acids. Uh, It was identical, 985. The next stage, number two, was we grew an organ on a laboratory bench Mm -hmm. and then transplanted it, it was a bladder, into or bladders into a bunch of school students who'd been born with spina bifida which is a disease of the spinal cord not being totally encapsulated by the bony covering of the spine and in addition to just that there are also various neurological defects which in their case was that they didn't have control of their bladder they from their own cells grew another bladder in 1999 transplanted it into them and reported it in 2006 in the lancet that it was now working perfectly. It is now a common technique, stage two, growing an organ on the laboratory bench. Right. Stage three is uh, modifying the organ inside the body. 
So read the New York Times, an article by Gina Colata, K-O-L-A-T-A, in November 2021. You can get it for free because you get five reads of the New York Times for free each month. <laughs> and it talks about how they modified the DNA of a human so that they could now make insulin and they didn't have to inject themselves with insulin. So you don't that. want to take, you don't want to grow a pancreas on a laboratory bench and transplant it because the moment you cut some of the plumbing around there, like the common bile duct, you're looking at a death rate of a couple of percent. So they modified right. it inside the body. That's stage three. Wow. Stage four, but, and by the way, to do that, took 15 scientists, 20 years, and 50 million US dollars. About wow. Right. And then yeah. stage four is to do that for all of the body, mm. the whole of the human body on each of the 400 cell types, which would mean that basically we would no longer be aging. See, there's a process in our cells called apoptosis. Hang on, a little diversion here. Mm. And here we go with a statement. Death is a new invention. Did you know that? No. Program death got invented about a billion years ago when we evolved from being um, uh, single-celled creatures, which we were from 3.8 billion years ago to 1.1, billion years ago, into multi-celled creatures. Right. Or right. 5,000 years ago if you're a gun-toting redneck Christian from Texas. <laughs> of course. But, of course. But um, <laughs> so the, when we became multi-celled creatures with cells for – uh, walking and eating and smelling and breathing and moving, etc. Uh, along the, la the way came a process called apoptosis, A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. That's a word that means, literally in Greek, um, the falling of the leaves in autumn or yellowed when the uh, chlorophyll has been pulled back in to be recycled. Of course, chlorophyll is an expensive chemical to make. And, but in biology, apoptosis means programmed cell death. Getting back to our theme now uh, in stage four of genetic engineering, we can find the process of apoptosis and stop it so that um, we, we don't have to age. So the yeah. treatments will come online and we'll get older, yeah, our kids, and then at some stage they'll start getting brought back to a healthy 18 to 25-year-old body, which was made by their DNA, which they'll then wear for the next 500 to 5,000 years. So effectively, they'll be in the first generation to live forever whereas you and I will be in the last generation to die. To die. Now, wow. now remember that How are we going to fund our pensions? The, that's a different <laughs> thing. Uh, and then the last stage of genetic engineering is that we realise that we don't need this meat bag. We can get beyond it. Uh, yes. Because like, while I like the uh, hip joint, it's a good joint, it's a ball and socket, it's got natural structural integrity, the, the knee joint sucks. Is, is that an Irish phrase, sucks? Yeah. yeah. So, yes. yeah so, imagine you've yeah, got... Sure. Um, a, a pair of uh, shallow soup bowls and you put one inside the other and then get two pairs side by side and that's the knee joint, one, one knee joint, two pairs of these uh, soup bowls and they do not have natural structural integrity so they're held together by the equivalent of gaffer tape with ligaments that are down the side, the inside, the outside, the front, the back and even going through the middle of the joint. Have you heard of a thing called the anterior cruciate ligament? Yeah. We're oh, both football it, fans. We've oh, seen yeah. these so many times. Yeah. ACL tears and men, you know, meniscus, meniscus tears. Meniscus tears. Medial and, yeah. tears. And, yeah. yeah. The knee joint sucks, right? So uh, we, we should bypass. And, and the eyeball, like the, the squid got it right. It went down a different pathway of evolution. By the way, evolution is real. Um, and it went down a different pathway. <laughs> and it's got the blood vessels that feed the retina behind the retina. 
Whereas we humans have got it in front and so it interferes with our vision. If you lie on the grass and then stare at the sun with your eyes shut, you can suddenly see little hints of blood vessels across the front mm, of your vision. Mm. Okay, so uh, Freeman Dyson in his book uh, Disturb the Universe says that the right shape for a human being is, and I quote, a cloud of iron vapour weighing 50 kilograms, the diameter of a planet floating through space um, and then navigating on magnetic fields and the like. And how do you have sex? Well, Frank Zappa, of course, said that your main sexual organ is your brain. Right. So you can still have sex. And so, so your, get, your get mama back. jokes. Your mom is a big cloud of iron vapor as wide as a planet. <laughs> Something in there. So, so getting back to the question of can we cure diseases? Yes, but at the same time as we're developing biomedical artificial implants, we'll also be developing biological repairs, like the guy who in November twenty one was reported as having been cured of diabetes, never having to inject himself with insulin again. Yeah. So we'll be also doing that and also be heading down the pathway of modifying ourselves. So we might have, for example, one in every, I think, 40 people or 30 people has the gene for cystic fibrosis, mm. which has absolutely mm. no benefits whatsoever. It's one in 20 for Europeans and about um, virtually none in Chinese. And, and so, by the way, sorry, we should say just to yeah. give our, our island a shout out in the way that we absolutely do not want to, but Ireland has the highest rate of cystic fibrosis in the world, unfortunately. Right. And that gene has no benefits and only disadvantages. And with genetic engineering in the short term, we can snip it out of the DNA. Um, but saying that can we cure all disease, our knowledge will progress at many fronts parallel and so we'll evolve into a space-going race. Firstly, in spaceships, we'll also be modifying our DNA along the way. Along the and, way. And, okay. and, and, and there, there will always be diseases because um, nothing personal, bacteria want to live, viruses want to live. Uh, we happen to be their hosts. Nothing personal, it's just business. Yep. Um, I famously, uh, in this country, on my national radio show, do not wash my legs in the shower. Unless, ah. you know, they're visibly dirty from me playing football five-a-side and sliding in the ground like having dirty knees. I, on a daily basis, I don't wash them. I wash hair, hot spots, and my face, and that's about it. And my listeners are, some of them are appalled, some of them agree with me. But Colette wanted to know, I think on behalf of me, is it dangerous to not wash your legs? Ah, bit of a question here. What do you use to wash the rest of your body with that you do wash? Like shower gel on my hands soap yeah that's crazy <laughs> I, ha soap on hands yes but I, I haven't used soap on my body for a third of a century so you just what's just what water uh a thing called sorboline with 10 percent glycerin um because it's very cheap it's the basis of most you know facial things um, yeah. It's about uh, 10 bucks for 500 grams. Uh, right. And, and so um, when I was working uh, as a junior doctor in the kids' hospital, I was working in the, the dermatology clinic, and we'd have uh, Irish kids and Scottish-based kids coming in with dermatitis so bad it looked like he'd sprayed them with red paint. Right. In most cases, we'd take them off soap and get them to use sorboline. So you'd use uh, use hand only for um, the uh, soap only on the hands and maybe on the back end, maybe not, depending on what you're doing. 
Uh, sure. And then they wash the whole body with sorbolin. So you get a wadge of sorbolin the size of the tip of your thumb, and then you, you rub your face and get another one, and then fruitlessly try to get a leather on one arm, then the other arm, then the front, then the back, and work your way down, and then rinse it all off. And then the kids would come back, and in the majority of cases, it would fix up their dermatitis. You see, what happens is the skin um, manufactures fats, and these fats fall into two major categories, sebum from the sebaceous glands and fat from the dead skin cells themselves as they come to the end of their life. And so when you use soap, you wash off all the fats. And in some people, especially those Irish and uh, Northern Scotland, they then have a preponderance of sebum. And then, then these can then get attacked by bacteria called Aerobacter and other types of bacteria. And then as a byproduct of living, these bacteria give off free fatty acids and nasty chemicals, which can then on the outside of your body attack your skin and give you these terrible skin rashes in some cases. So I use soap only on my hands. And... I use sorbolin on the rest of my body, but providing you've got, getting back to, it's all about you, Dave, providing you've got no skin conditions, and do you allow water to run over your legs? Oh, that's the whole point. It's, it's, the, it's the flow of water that cleans me rather than any active, active you, cleaning by me. And do you do any mechanical rubbing with your hands over your legs? No. And do you have any skin conditions? No, none. Well, mate, you've made it this far through life. You'll probably get the rest of the way. Now, <laughs> as your skin gets drier as you get older, let me yeah. recommend Sorbolene. Sorbolene, okay. S-O-R-B-O-L-E-N-E uh, with 10% glycerine. Uh, get the – I don't want to get it in the tub rather than the squirty tube. And right. that keeps the skin um, nice and, and young and not, not dry and flaky. But you've still got a couple it. of decades to go. Amazing. <laughs> Carl, we're going to have to leave it there. Much as I don't want to, but this has just been utterly one of the most fascinating conversations I've had with anybody. I know Neil feels the same. And we will come back to part two to find out at least about the selfie. But there's so many more questions we want to ask you. But thank you so much for joining us all the way from Australia today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And Dave, if you could just uh, leave the call, that would be great. Carl, I want to talk to you about doing a podcast. Um, (laughs) I I just think... And welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? Neil Delamere. That's Dr. Carl. Oh, my God. I mean, up until now, Dr. Carl was neighbours and he was my favourite Dr. Carl. But he has been <laughs> supplanted by that eminently qualified man. Uh, I mean, he was absolutely amazing. Two things I'm going to remember from that. Yeah. One, I'll be honest with you. Do you know when you said uh, he, he enlisted all his degrees and then you said that he was a roadie? Yeah, it took every ounce of me to say. I bet in all his degrees, he got a two one, two one, two two one, two one, two one, two one. But I managed to stop myself from saying that. I'm impressed. I am. But impressed. now, every, now every time I see you in shorts, though, I'm gonna go. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Sorbeline. I've, I've never even heard of that before. We're gonna look it up. Definitely, we're gonna wash ourselves in this from now. I don't mean together. We don't wash together, but we wash ourselves individually in the sorbeline from now on. <laughs> yes, ringing each other from the shower. It's going very well. Um, <laughs> he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, even the bits he threw away were fascinating. Oh, so look. we'll have to talk to him again. Well done, you absolutely nailed it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it's not me. It's Doctor Carl Kruselnitsky. So please do your do your worst. Go follow him. He's amazing on TikTok. Amazing on Instagram. And all the kinds of questions we asked him. He answers regularly. He's brilliant. Go follow him. All right. Let me put you out of your misery about this quiz question. Okay. Okay. So I would say first, when I saw this on telly, 
I got close. Now, I didn't get it right. I'm not boasting or anything like that. But I did work out one of the of the scenarios or two of the scenarios in this kind of relationship of numbers to, to the months. I was very proud of myself, but I didn't get it right. The guy in the quiz show, unbelievable. 30 seconds got it right. Okay. okay. So here's the question again. If January equals 717, March equals 5315, and June equals 4624, what does August equal? Okay. And the answer is 6848. So um, I figured out that the month new number is the middle one. So 717-5315-4624. So the 6th okay. is June and the 3rd is okay. There you and go. you said the last August is something 68848. Yes. So which is the first two multiplied by each other. Uh, it is. And if you look yeah. at the other ones 71.7536. So here's what it is. The first number is the number of letters in the month. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. The second one is the position in the calendar. Yes. And the third number is the multiplier of the first two numbers. So 717 is seven letters in January, the first month. Seven multiplied by one is seven. Second one is five letters in the month March. It is the third month. Five, three is 15. June, four letters. Six months, 24. And August, six letters. Eighth month, 48. This guy got that in 30 seconds, Neil. Not in a million years would I get that. Yeah. And you know what happens uh, uh, on these shows is your adrenaline spikes so much that mm. actually when you're doing, when, when you have a few minutes to, to consider, so if you have a few minutes to consider the chase question that is written on the board when you're up against a chaser, for example, yeah, you can actually consider it. But when you're doing it either in mastermind against the clock or you're doing it um say on beta chases or you're doing it in the cash builder on the chase this weird thing happens to me i'd love to know if it happens to other people your adrenaline spikes and you don't hear or maybe you hear but you don't process lots yeah. of stuff so you're you're almost getting buzzwords and guessing from buzzwords it's yes. entirely different from from home so, for example, it's not the fact that you're on TV and it's not the fact that you're doing a quiz because you said when you have time to consider the chases, the chase question when you've got time, fine. you're yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the, yeah. the upping the ante, the putting the clock on it, the drama and all that. Yeah, that just yeah. changes. Yeah. And, you, and so it's it's you hearing the importance of the of the words in the question and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And when you're doing those things, you're also imagining the the children or, or maybe the ill people that you're raising money for and the money being slowly taken away from them, which is... Well, I'll give you a little tidbit that people might not know, just a bit of insider knowledge. I think they'll be okay with this in the chase. When you do the cash builder in the chase, they don't play the music in. That's added later. Because oh, they, they don't want to up that any more than right. the it's high enough as it is it's high enough as it is because you're against the clock and he's rattling out questions but they don't. and you're aware of the clock though aren't you um uh, no you're not aware of that clock no and no. You're, you're you're no you're not aware of the 60 seconds um when you're doing you just the keep chase. going going question 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 and when you and when you do beat the chasers they tell you not to look at the clock so you'll see people looking at the ground, yeah. So, but anyway, all will be revealed when they air at some point. But as long as there's no, what month is this? If <laughs> this and that, and Jesus Christ. Dave. All right, well, look, yeah, I promise there'll be no more of that now throughout the series. I don't promise that at all. More quiz questions. <laughs> uh, okay, that's episode one of season four of Why Would You Tell Me That with him, Neil Delamere, and me, Dave Moore. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Neil, you are up in episode two. What have you got for us? 
Well, we always get a great response when we do anything about language. Your first guest ever, I think, is still one of our most popular um, episodes. And we talked about the most important number in the world and how different languages count. I thought it up the ante. Dave, we are going to get a word into a language next week. What? Yes. For real? For reals. Holy japers. Yes, that is the word. That's amazing. What a, what a Good start, Neil Delamere. Good start. All right, join us next week. Thanks for listening to Why Would You Tell Me That? Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.